Hello everybody, we're going live for Tuesday Talks. Today we have an amazing person called Dr. Tika. I need to make sure that is correct. <laughs> I think this is. Um, and I believe the surname is Tanner. Uh, Atika Tanner, uh, she is a passionate educator, author, sought after international speaker and an advocate for justice. We're going to be inviting her up soon and see, get her to share her story as well. Hello, how are you doing? Very well, how are you? I am fine, thank you very much. Thank, uh, I've done a short introduction for you already, uh, but obviously you're the best person to you know, expand on that and let everybody know uh, what you do and um, why you do it. That's the biggest question, you know? Uh, why do you do what you do? Yes, for me, my journey and why I do what I do is based upon where I come from. I'm here in St. Paul, Minnesota, and that's my hometown. And there's a particular district that I'm from called Rondo. And Rondo was one of the historic African-American communities. At its peak, over 400 Black-owned businesses from everything from our grocery store and co-op to our dental office, all in one place. And what's unique about my story is it's not in isolation. There were over a thousand documented cases across the United States similar to our story that at our peak, our community was destroyed in 1956 with the building of our highway infrastructure and our freeway systems. So the challenge then becomes when we tell our Rondo story, oftentimes it can be a story of despair, but it's also a story of hope because that was really the inspiration for me to become an attorney, that we can use our voices, we can get organized, we can fight for justice. It's not to say, I know there was a federal law that changed in 1906 with the interstate and highways. It's not simply about the interstate and highways, it's about whose voices are heard. It's about who's impacted. And it's about equity and justice because our community lost our wealth overnight because it meant we lost the most valuable asset, our homes through the power of eminent domain. So I'm throwing around all those legal words. That's how I ended up becoming an attorney because I wanted to understand what happened to our community and to help other communities across the nation and the world advocate for their rights in real time. Wow, uh, and so that's led you to this amazing journey. Uh, I know you've, you've traveled the world as well, so you're, you're an international speaker as well. And I suppose that's where you come up, uh, became a passionate educator as well. So you are traveling the world, um, educating as well. Uh, yeah, take us through that as well. So what's, uh, what's all that? Well, for education, for me, I know knowledge is power. So when I even understood my own community story and that compelled me to become a civil rights and human rights attorney, that I could understand issues, I could be impactful in real time. So I know that education can give us the tools to build a better world. So children are really my inspiration. Every city that I travel to, no matter where I am around the world, it is an opportunity for me to teach and inspire young people and remind them from our first book, Justice Makes a Difference, that story that reminds them that you're never too young to make a difference. So I help to organize young people to understand how to help strengthen and build their community, how to make a difference in real time. So being an educator for me is not just what happens in the classroom. Of course, I'm a professor. Of course, formally, I'm an educator. But it's what happens in the community and wherever we are to make an impact and inspire others that they can use their gifts and talents to leave the world a better place than how we found it. Wow, you're, you're, you're already like, the, the inspiration is already coming across towards me as well, even though uh, I have no connection to that. I'm like, oh, I want to go and help now. I want to be, I want to see this, you know, because uh, obviously not being there, I don't know that history, uh, but it is something definitely I will be Googling now to, to, to look into because uh, 
that uh, that kind of a nerd I am anyway. So if I find some history somewhere, I'm like, oh, I need to know this. Uh, now you know, so it's 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 a piece of history that I'm I'm not aware of uh, that has happened. Uh, but it's 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 wonderful to hear. So what was the pivotal moment for you? When was that realization that you had uh, that you wanted to now take this role? Uh, you know, become an attorney for to betterment of the community. Uh, you know, when was this realization or did, was that something you wanted to do from a young age in terms of practice, uh, but not the other connections, you know, kind of evolved later? Yes, for me, I had a sense of, of course, that the law impacted every area of my daily life. I grew up in the period that's called the war on drugs. So the reality of it was mass incarceration and many of the challenges that we still yet face today. That was my childhood that really seeing, you know, our moms, our dads, aunts and uncles entering the, the criminal justice system for nonviolent drug offenses. And thinking about the fact Michelle Alexander gives us a sense in her book, The New Jim Crow, that there were more African-Americans under the control of the penal system during the peak of the war on drugs than who were enslaved in the 1800s. So it gives you a sense that it impacted the black community at disproportionate rates. And in fact, you see then going from a few hundred thousand, we have millions incarcerated in America now. We're the incarceration capital of the world. So as a child, admittedly, I found refuge in books. So I was always, you know, reading my books, going to the library, because there was really not a lot of safety on the ground. I mean, there were gang wars, all types of things to take over this new commodity called crack cocaine. And so when I think about how the criminal justice system and the challenges that we are facing in our community in real time, I knew that there was something that had to be done. So that gave me the first sense that clearly something's not working. If drugs are the only economy in our black community primarily, we need to do something to grow business and growth. If you could take that same person who could be a drug distributor, why could they not be a CEO if you had the right recipe? Because clearly they understand finance, clearly they understand management, but how do we take it then to something practical that can build our community versus destroying it in real time? So I had a sense of, I knew I wanted to do something related to the criminal justice system from the beginning. I just didn't quite know what it was. And I found it when I was on my journey in college doing student teaching. And I was doing my student teaching and I'll never forget it. I was in a kindergarten classroom. So basically your first entry point into our educational system in America. And I thought, okay, the worst case scenario is one of the kids will cry for their mother or they, they're not you know, trained and they have an accident. They're not potty trained properly. I didn't know what to expect. But what I didn't know was that all the social issues, like when I was a little girl, came into the school. So the challenge was that many of the children were homeless. Many of the children, there's literally a separate bus to pick up the kids after school. Many of the children struggled with the basics of phonics or even recognizing letters, because we know that in America, we need a greater investment in early childhood education. So you had all these problems that walked into the school gate. And I'm not saying the kids walked into the school gate. Schools, kids are problems, they're promise. We just had to find the promise in each and every one of them. So I decided after doing student teaching, I was like, no more, I'm not doing this. I'm going directly to law school. I knew I would eventually go because I believe that the law is a language of power. And when I was growing up, I felt we were powerless because we didn't understand the law. We were impacted by it, but no one said, okay, instead of a war on drugs, why don't we do a public health campaign to help support people that are struggling with addiction? Why don't we create more jobs? Still yet in my community, there aren't enough jobs. In America, we talk about the racial wealth gap that it will take 228 years to bridge the gap between blacks and whites. 
But truly to bridge that gap in real time, we have to create jobs and economic mobility. And our failures to do that is why we see still challenges on the streets today in my community. So instead of just lamenting all those problems, I started to think about how I could create change in real time. And that's when I left student teaching. I did not fulfill my full licensure. I went directly to take my LSAT to prepare to go to law school. And I took every opportunity I could. It was like I lived in the law library. I wanted to know how I could create those other opportunities around business, around education. And I knew that law and policy impacts everything. So that's when I made that determination that I would become a lawyer. And I think about the community organizers that are in my community that help to you know, get things moving and stand up for the rights for people. And they always say, God voice, God power. So I made a decision. If I have a voice, tap into the power and be impactful in real time. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and I can also hear the vulnerability in that uh, pivotal moment where you have that realization. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a concern that you hear and you just, you know, people around the world have no idea of what the actual uh, real time issue is. Yes, you hear snippets of it, but that's how I see it every time is, is filtered news. So I will get a news, which I will see, but that will be filtered over to what is presented across to everybody outside of US, right? Because that's what you hear. Uh, and, and, and so it's, it's great to hear that from yourself now. And that was the pivotal moment. Uh, and you're like straight in, living in the library, uh, connecting with the uh, movers and shakers, you know, who, uh, who needed to make this stuff happen. Um, so this is also, you know, the story is also telling me that once you started that onto it, uh, was networking a big part of uh, the journey as well, where you have to connect with uh, these people who've never thought of creating uh, such a such a opportunity or look for uh, for such a thing. And you, there was you now coming up. Hey, uh, we can do this. So what what was the how was that journey for you? I'm sure there were some uh, you know um, challenges and knockbacks. Uh, how did you overcome them? I think networking is key. If you're worried about a process that leads to, like me, like I said, whether it was addressing the war on drugs or being more impactful in my local economy, I knew I had to build a movement. This is not something I can do by myself. I can't solve hundreds of years. I mean, literally, for the African-American community, you're talking about centuries of disenfranchisement. I cannot do that overnight by myself. So first, I knew I had to raise awareness because there is a stigmatization in America. This idea that, oh, African-Americans, if they worked harder, they could achieve more, if they weren't always criminals. I mean, there's even studies that try to attempt to say that we're born with a, a, a gang-like DNA. I've seen it. I was like, okay, is it the X chromosome or the Y chromosome? It was like, where does this gang DNA come from? And no one addresses the issue. How do you go from slavery and everyone wants to talk about it now for Juneteenth. We'll have all these programs on June 19th. We made a federal holiday of it. But we don't address the history underlying the real message. How do you go from slavery and disenfranchisement? I have to pause here because I think it's an important piece of history. If you look at my own family, I can take you to slavery in less than three to four generations. Think about that. And if we take that into context, it means then that many of the challenges that we face we're going to need a strategy that takes the past 
and thinks about what are the strategies that we look ahead to the present. We cannot ignore from whence we've come. And that's been the challenge in so many areas of civil rights and racial justice in America. So when I think about the power of networking, it's first about raising awareness, dispelling myths. I wasn't born a criminal. I wasn't born a gang member. I wasn't born in a ghetto. I was born in a community that was thriving until we were disenfranchised, you know? So we have to know our history to be able to understand and have context of what we're even talking about. So first, my first, you know, order of business has always been raising awareness through facts, not through sentiment, because a lot of people go by how they feel or what they saw on the news. Let's go through facts and data. And then from there, let's think about what are the best practices or strategies we can use to move forward. So my work around racial justice, you've already heard me say it multiple times, is deeply rooted in the economics. If you can create stronger economics within any family unit, within any community, you can mitigate many social issues. We then have stable homes, stable families, more we know pro-social activity. We're more likely to get involved in our local democracy, our school board, running for office, going to the ballot box, all of those things. So for me, in order to understand that and help others and dispel, I know now we talk about is unconscious bias and misunderstandings, all these things. No, no, no. Let's just get the facts, build upon facts, and think about how we can build change. I mean, America's in a unique situation right now. We have the opportunity, Dr. Maya Angelou talked about it, to build a rich multicultural tapestry. She described it where no, not one thread is greater than the other. So we can build in real time social change based upon the diversity of our human capital. So on every stage that I go on, and I've been before tens of thousands of people at this point, you then beg the question, will we meet that with fear or faith? And I sure hope it's the latter. And I'm not talking about faith in a religious sense. I'm talking about faith in humanity on what we can build and create together. So for me, networking is a part of building that faith that my team then expands day by day. Like the conversation that we're having today, as other people are listening, I hope they're finding their way to say, huh, okay, all these social issues, what can I do? Huh, oh, that happened in my neighborhood too. Because anyway, you, you have a freeway in America, you have a Rondo whether it's in the Gullah Geechee Nations in Florida and the Carolinas in New Orleans, when you're going to Bourbon Street, look, how the, look at the freeway design and say, for your convenience to get where you need to go, some people were displaced, lost their economics, lost their future in real time. And that's not to say, oh, we have to be in a state of pity. No, no, no. It says we get into a state of possibility on what we can build and create together in real time, that education and knowledge is power. So for me, networking is about sharing information. Networking is about dispelling myths. And networking is also a challenge because then you can't be intellectually lazy. You can't say, I just heard that about a situation. You have to challenge yourself and say, what do I need to learn? And then the other challenge is, what do I need to unlearn in the process as well? I, I, I love this. I love that. I love the closing part there. You know, uh, what, do you what do you need to learn when you are being presented by information? Uh, you know, from that information, what's relevant and is this real as well? Because there's so much out there. So when you get the information, you're like, right, what, what, what do I need to learn from that? What's, what is I need to take from it? And once I understand this, what do I need to unlearn it? Uh, and, and this is what you were mentioning earlier. Uh, every time when, uh, you know, Black History Month comes along uh, and uh, wonderful stories get shared, you know, the movies are there and all that stuff. And, but the, the thing that's always uh, focused on to the wrong side of things, you know, is, is, in, is what's happened in the past, right? What well, that's happened, 
I understand. We are here now. What can we now do to create opportunities, as you're saying? Because all I, all I, uh, just like yourself, all I think is, is the, is a, it's, a, it's an opportunity missed where people have not been given that chance. You know, uh, as I, I always say, so I'm in, I'm in London, UK. So I'm a second generation for, for my, uh, for my family in, in UK, right? And mm-hmm. uh, but then there's. That I know others who are here third or fourth generation, but if you track their lineage back home where they are, they are from a very tiny village which had no future, right? So one person decided, right, I need to go out and look for stuff and create a life. And then before you know it, the whole family has moved along and, you know, opportunities has been created. And the, so it's there and the mindset. So this leads me to the mindset, right? So it's, it's the mindset which is created. Um, and is this something like I'm, I'm not being in, in, in America, you just hear that filtered information that comes to you here in the UK. Uh, you know, the American dream that everybody talks about. Um, I always, you know, I always thought, okay, it's the, it's the American dream that everybody's chasing, right? It comes to us here now and we're like, we'll hear some bits about it and somebody will say, oh, we need this, we need this. And we say, that's American dream. You, you want an American dream, you know, us in the UK. And, <laughs> So we're like, oh, okay. So we don't want this. We, you know, we want a big cars. We want this. So it's it's created that way so that your mind is looking for those short-term wins, short-term gains. And how can you get that if you are not presented by an opportunity? You are going to resort to what your what you can do, right? Um, the, you mean current climate? when we had all this pandemic going through and everything, we, we still, we, we still having the after effects over here. Lots of people on my street lost their houses. Uh, and just, I'm just trying to relate to what I'm, I'm hearing with the story is, and now those people uh, in our street in, in the, in the 10, 20 years that I've been on this street, never had no burglaries, nothing. You can leave your car unlocked, or even if you leave your windows down, nothing will happen. But now, since the pandemic has started, we've had about four or five houses being robbed, cars being broken into, uh, and it's picked up. And so for me, I'm just, it's the mindset of how people like, just need to put food on the table. And that's how it all started at one time somewhere in history. And, and that's where now these researchers are saying, oh, yeah, these people are born with this already in them. Like, no, they're not. They've just not been told anything else. They're not seeing anything else. What's around them? They just say, okay, this is around me. How can I do it even better than what I've seen already? And, and they're the best business people out there. You know, as you said, they're not management. They're not accounting. They're, they're not everything because they're not making a loss. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yes. And I think it's a, that's an opportunity gap. So that's why I work with young people because I want them to see these possibilities. I mean, when I grew up, most people thought our lives were a one mile radius, you know, from Dale Street to Snelling Avenue. But I had a chance through the power of books and reading to travel the world. Before I even left my house, I knew that I would travel the world. And people are like, how do you know? I just knew. And so having those possibilities in front of you and cultivating them through role modeling, that's why I love reading biographies. I'm like, wow, that person achieved that. I can too, it gives you a little inspiration. So that's why I focused on creating our nonprofit, Planting People, Growing Justice Leadership Institute, because it's that reality that you cannot be what you cannot see. Because I remember, you know, 10 years ago, I was asked to go into schools all the time. And I'd go in and say, you can be a lawyer too. And I'd go in, let's do a mock trial, all those things. 
and still yet, by the time I left, I asked the kids, what did they want to do when they grow up? The boys resoundingly said, basketball, football, player, rapper. The girls, same sort of thing. And then, okay, dance and other music. And all those are fine. But at the same time, if you cannot be what you cannot see, were they even exposed to other career opportunities? That's why I'm launching a new career pathway program. That way, even while you're young, despite all the conditions and challenges I talked about, nothing could put a cap on my imagination and the possibilities of what I could create. And it's not just to say you do that by yourself. I was blessed with wonderful scholarships, like from Justice Allen Page. I was blessed with wonderful teachers, all those pieces of church, a faith community, a cultural community. It's going to take a village. Sometimes we forget that. We're like, do it on your own. But if we're talking about a values-based type of leadership, it's something that we create and build together in real time. So now when I go out to schools, yes, I know we've had an impact. Because I hear children say, oh, what, what about STEM? Oh, what about being a pilot? Oh, oh, I can be a lawyer like Dr. Tyner. You know, those pieces in real time, that inspiration can create new possibilities. And, and that's what we do. We're dream creators, you know, to help plant that seed, to say the possibilities are there. But from my own experience, you don't do that alone. You do that in partnership with others. So we're only as strong as the community that we create. I, I, I love this. And you've obviously tra traveled the world. And I, and I came across one of your posts where, where you were in, in, in Africa. Uh, uh, I'm not too sure what country it was. Uh, you want, would you like to take us through that as well? Because obviously uh, you've, you've traveled to all the way there and something uh, that will also have an after effect. You know, you've created a ripple already, which will take its form at one point. And, and I, I'm, I'm so amazed by that already. I mean, I don't think you'd, you, maybe you know, but you know that what ripple you have created by just visiting and doing what you were doing there. Yes, for me, once again, always had that inspiration of traveling to Africa. Didn't know how, didn't know when, and said, okay, one of these days. Well, one of these days presented itself. I had a student, uh, Monica, and all Monica wrote about in all of her papers. I was teaching in the Master in Public Policy and International Leadership Program at that time. All she wrote about was her home, Ghana. And I remember thinking, okay, but we have other topics. You know, the whole world's in this classroom. You can pick a different country to do whatever you want. She said, no, I'm going to focus on women and leadership and young girls in Ghana. And that's literally all she wrote about. And I remember at one point, I was like, well, there's a research scholarship. So why don't you apply for one of those and go back and turn this not just to a paper that you work on in class, make it come alive for a large scale multinational case study. And, you know, as a professor, you always give a little inspiration. You just don't know where it will take root. You know, you, you tell people all types of ideas. But Monica did apply. And she was successful in receiving a, a research grant in 2016. And I'll never forget it. I was like, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. She's like, no, happy for us. I was like, for us? No, I didn't do anything. You're doing all the heavy lifting. I just give the words of encouragement. And Monica brought me with her to serve as one of her co-researchers. So in 2016, we made that trip to Ghana and we met with women leaders from everyone in government to the larger universities like the University of Ghana to get a perspective on what role women can play in leading change in real time. Because I know, once again, we watch all the movies and read the books like Half the Sky. We know the demographics, but what can we create? Where, in fact, if we look at leadership research, it always tells us that most people would say that all world leaders all leaders in our day-to-day -day lives should have the characteristics that we oftentimes say are related to women. Like the idea that women are intuitive, 
that they have empathy, that they, you know, communicate openly, all those pieces, we say we want them. But yet, if we look at all the data, we don't see the opportunities aligning for women. So I knew that there was something very unique about her research. But I didn't expect one that she would open up a door. But this is what I'm talking about for values. If we understand that we have the power to create change, she opened the door for me to travel to Ghana. Since then, I've traveled oh nearly two dozen times, because I found Ghana to be a part of home for me, a part of identity, a part of culture. And each time that we go, we hold a youth leadership summit to inspire other young people on what they can create in real time. And my big project that we're working on is to create a STEM leadership academy in Ghana. Because that way, if we know the data that STEM careers are growing at a pace that's faster than all career combined, careers combined by two to three times, we know that this could open up the doors for not only just career development, but that type of economic mobility. And why does that matter to me? Because I'm the first generation to go to college. I'm the first generation to realize the dreams of my ancestors. And if we go back to history, I'm not, you know, sometimes people are like, you're the first and you have all these awards and different things, alphabet soup behind your name. I'm actually not the first. I was just the first who had access to the opportunity. So I owe it to my ancestor to create more pathways for more people to have access to opportunities. And who knows, but God, I mean, yeah, I've accomplished some things, but I don't know what's yet to come and what the next generation will accomplish, but I at least can open up the door. And at least while I'm doing that, tear down the doors. And we talk about the glass ceilings, glass cliffs, all these things. No, 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 we tear them down and we create possibilities for the power, innovation, and creativity, wherever it comes from. So what I have done in Africa is I've just done what people have done for me. I've returned back a gift to say, okay, here's the possibility. So you might find me. I remember I met one pastor and he said, oh, you're a teacher. And I was like, yeah, I'm a teacher. And he said, oh, you'll be back next Sunday. I said, sure, I'll be back. I didn't know. He was like, you'll lead our whole Sunday school program. He just left. And I was like, no, I didn't sign up for that. I just signed up to say hi to the kids. You know, that was, all. but when I thought about it, I was like, and there were like hundreds of kids in his Sunday school program. But at the same time, I thought about, okay, what do you know what to do? Give some inspiration. And I remember, and this is why we're doing the Career Pathway series, because many of the young women and young boys had the same question. They said, we don't know what careers are out there. So we need to know what is available to us. And then once we know what pathway, what do we need to study? How do we get there? And that's really been the impetus for me to not only build a STEM academy, but also to do the books and the curriculum so that way careers are possible. Because I remember for me, you know, all my friends, you know, were immigrants primarily when we were growing up. And even my family, with me being first generation, all of our parents said the same thing. They said doctor, lawyer, and then if they got one more word, they eventually added engineer. But that was too late. We already were grown by then, but they eventually gave us a third option for our younger siblings, right? So for me, I didn't know anything beyond those pieces. And I guess I had a win. You know, I did doctor, lawyer. I do a lot in science too. So I had the win for my parents. It's not medical doctor yet, but my, my father, he still thinks I'm a medical doctor. He was like, oh, you got your doctor and my foot hurts. What should I do? I was like, dad, wrong letters. But we worked with <laughs> We work with it. But if my story can be a possibility, I hope to be able to replicate that in real time for others that may not see beyond their zip code, may not see beyond their current situation. So that's why I'm dedicated to work with children, because I believe as adults, we have an important role. We're the treasure hunters. Find the treasure in our young people and help to inspire them in real time. And I, I, I love this. I love this. You know, find, find the treasure in our young and help them to inspire. 
uh, it's pretty much you know you you're looking for that uh, well every, every child's every child's a diamond right so you you're polishing those diamonds you're like well it's time to shine you know just go under the light go here we go go you know you're shining now and 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 I love that you share that you know um, no nobody knows what what the next step is in terms of what careers are available out there uh, you know immigrant parents only knew doctor engineer lawyer yes. you know the 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 typical one they saw uh other 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 people do uh, and and, and uh, you you forgot to add one uh, i'm sure the new generation that now you're going to be speaking to them probably talk about being a social influencer right uh, that's that's something new now been added on to right as a new yeah. job created so that, that's what is so you they want to be an influencer now as well and the reason that limitation is there is only because that's what they see right they don't there are less people uh who are in those positions who are showing that oh i am a lawyer here you can be one too oh i am a ceo here you can be one too you know uh they they they're not there uh showcasing or if you know let's say i don't know somebody wants to be on wall street there is somebody there say hey i am i've done it this way you can be one too you know there is a process uh, i've done it uh, and, and that's all it is it's, it's the case of just showing that process and i love that you've you know you've taken on that journey uh you've you've owned it in terms as 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 in this is this is me who's going to who's going to do this uh, and make sure that so it, what i'm hearing from this race is what you feel that you're you know you need to give back to the community because community has given it to you as well in terms of where you are uh is because of that and i love that you 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 know you you're doing that is and it's refreshing to hear because you don't hear quite a lot of uh of people looking at the young or the youth to do the you know change the future because and and i don't know if you agree with this this is my saying that i say that to everybody you know the the kids and the youth that you are looking at now are the ones who's going to be the leaders in the future mm. uh you might be a leader now but they're going to be the next leaders so you need to create and nurture these guys for being ready to take over from you when you know when you're ready to step down you know <laughs> we're not going to be in this position forever when no. you're ready to step down uh, you know take your leg cabin whatever the, the this generation is going to cover across right Yes. I mean that's you know the notion oftentimes that you hear is the wealthiest places going to the cemetery, right? Because so many of us take our gifts and talents with us instead of sharing them as a gift to understand we've been given a gift and a gift's only as powerful as if it can be given again that we keep on it's like a life cycle ecosystem. So for me I I and I will admit this, this is one of the greatest leadership challenges that I continue to see is that most people do not create a leadership succession plan. If I think about all the things that I've done, everything from being a Sunday school teacher, did I train the next Sunday school teacher? No. I did not. If I think about the businesses that I created, sold off or did other things with them, did I train somebody else to replicate my business? No. So it's one of the I would say I wouldn't leave it as a regret because any time that you're aware of something you create change. So that's one of the things that I'm committed to do. Everything that I do now and people can tell you they're like, "Well, you can't have two keynote speakers. Why not?" and give me the first 50 minutes my mentee will wrap it up with the last 10 you can't you know we have a contract with you to write books 
Okay, if it's a series, give me three, give the fourth one to someone I'm training. Because I think we have to be very intentional about it. Because if we're not careful, then the information and knowledge that we have will not translate into the next generation and for the betterment of society. And once again, if I go full circle, it's purely economic to me as well. Because, okay, clearly I've made some strong economic moves. Okay, so what difference does that make if everybody else doesn't have a chance along with me? And there's only so much money I can make. There's so many hours in a day. What if at the same time, the power of what people did for me, I open up some doors for somebody else and not just for them, for their whole family. You change whole cycles of poverty. Poverty is about creating opportunities in real time. That's why you have, you know, underrepresented communities, all these words, we make it sound so nice, but it's really about not being intentional and creating opportunities. Wherever I go, people think I have an entourage. They get it mixed up. This is not about celebrity or being a social influencer. It's about the next time I come, I'm going to watch somebody else on the stage, give them the feedback so they can do better. I only ask people one thing. You train and help somebody else. And people are shocked because I think we become such a cynical society that they think I have some ulterior motive. My only ulterior motive is, you know, our late Senator Paul Wellstone used to say it. We all do better when we all do better. So my only motive is that somebody else does better. So literally, I do not go anywhere. I was just in Orlando receiving an award. I don't go anywhere without bringing somebody else to help model what I'm doing so they can replicate it and keep it going long after I'm gone. Wow, I, I, I love this. And, you know, I'm, I'm in such an awe as well in terms of, right, you, you, you're, you're making sure that it's getting replicated. And, and, and that's the best way of, uh, of doing it. Uh, making sure that it continues, right? Uh, pay it forward comes to your mind, right? So it's, it's, it's a case of, right, okay, uh, I'm going to help you, uh, open the door for you. Mm -hmm. Once you're further down the room, you come across a door you are able to open, pay it forward, open it for somebody else uh, and let, let that person go through, you know, and, and they will do it further on. So that will carry on uh, a trick, you know, uh, uh, um, a trickle effect of, doors being open for everybody else and as you said yeah uh it's, it's a case of just recognizing that and and and, and doing it I, I love that um so obviously when you are doing all this out it's you know it's sounds very lengthy and 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 very uh tiresome journey so what <laughs> what what well, you know what kept keeps you going obviously what the drive i know i i know that your drive is there now we know the drive but what, what did you do in those uh, times when you were thinking, right, it's, it's, it's not your way, you know, and you're, you're at the lowest point? Uh, how did you then motivate yourself to continue? I get on a flight and I go to Africa. <laughs> That's why I'm leaving soon. <laughs> you know, because for me, going to Africa has been life-giving because I can still then follow my cultural practice then. This idea of Ubuntu, for instance, that I learned when I was in South Africa is a person is a person through others. So that means that my humanity is so interrelated to yours that even as I'm talking to you, your well-being connects to mine. So I have to help fight for it because your success and equals our success collectively on what we can build together for society and the world in real time. Or it's going to Ghana and seeing the pathway of what Dr. Kwame Nkrumah created. Now we're all talking about sustainability and green living and what we can create. He already did that. Go back to Ghana and see alternative, you know, methods around powering uh, from the dam, all those things, recycling. He already figured all those things out. 
So I think going back to a part of a cultural experience and heritage and pilgrimage for me has been going back to my roots. And in going back to my roots, I found not only purpose, not only strength, but I also found community in a way that I don't necessarily have here in the United States. I feel like the United States is a plague of busyness, but yet unproductive, of greed, but yet still wanting more. So why would I not go to the place that nourishes my soul? So that's why I find myself spending more time in Africa because I know that it aligns with culture and values, not just because of the amount of melanin in my skin and my origins. I'm talking about values related to who I am as a human being. Africa helped me to find my shared humanity and common destiny in real time and to really understand it because I could see it in action. I mean, literally, I'll never forget it. I wasn't feeling my best, but I was like, I was determined to go to the slave castles because it was, de I was determined to understand from whence we come and the strength and the power that came from that. And all of a sudden, I mean, there was a young lady, it was so hot and I'm like, it's not wonderful to not feel well and the heat and humidity is so high. And so literally, she's wiping the sweat from her brow, but I got an allergic reaction to something. And it was like, all of a sudden, it was like my feet were red and they were swollen. And it, I was just like, let me just take my shoes off for a minute and get my act together. Maybe I'll feel better. And then all of a sudden, literally, she took from her head her towel to begin washing my feet and putting her cold water that she needed to drink on my feet. Where else would you see that? She saw it. I was like, no, it's okay. She's like, no, no, no. Auntie, you're hurting. Let me help you out. I was just like, oh, you know, but no one else would think about that. They'd be like, oh, that's a shame for her. Too bad. This little girl saw that I was suffering in the moment and she didn't ask for anybody else. She thought about what she could do. Those are the values that we have to get back to. Money doesn't buy that. It's not about how many likes I have or how many followers. It's about the love in my heart that I'm willing to share in real time. She reached down in compassion because I know she probably thought, wow, I can't put this back on my face after I put this on this lady's feet. Looks <laughs> like she, you know, she's a leper or something. But she looked into her heart and said, how can I alleviate some of her pain in real time? That was about humanity, a call to humanity. I hope we can find that no matter where we are, no matter what corner of the earth we're on, that we can find that in real time. So that's why I spend also a lot of time studying African proverbs, African folklore, because in that history and tradition, you get a sense of what's easily lost, but is life-giving and essential to life, common values and common purpose. So that's how I've been able to sustain the work. In America, there's no rest, there's no peace. In America, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's constantly, everybody, the default, how are you? Busy, busy. They're saying as they're walking past you. And while when we look at, yes, everybody is busy no matter where they are in the world. It's just so much responsibility, so many things happening in real time. But to see people that build a sense of community, have a heart of compassion for each other. I've traveled all over the world. I've never seen anything like it except when I get back to Mama Africa. I, I love this. And, and, and an answer I wasn't expecting. So it's, it's wow. It's, it's, it's such nice to hear. And, and, and it's something, uh, I mean, I've noticed uh, in, in other countries in terms of who are, you know, I said not not as advanced as UK, for example, or US, for example. So I'm I'm talking about um, you, you, if, if even if you go to certain countries in Asia, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's 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 the same, right? You you get that uh, sense of you know connection, even though you're from a, 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 a different place, right? And and you are there, you will get that warmth from that unknown person that you never met, uh, helping you in that way as well. You know, like oh. I need to do something, you're in trouble. But uh, 
And also, I was going to say, uh, you know, they're also busy. Uh, you, you, the busyness is there, uh, but they also know when the times to switch off and connect with the family. Uh, that is something that uh, I I love and treasure. Uh, you know, because my my missus is uh, she's West African, so I I know where Ghana is as well. So not far from from Ghana. So she's in Republic of Benin. Uh, with a, I've visited quite a few times, and uh, and I love that place in terms of you 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 be out and about and at certain time you will see the business right so it's in the city side of the district when you'll see the business like here everybody's running to work and all the stuff but comes a certain time everybody's switched off they are sitting in their terraces connecting with the family you know having whatever you need to have that drinks and all of that everybody's telling each other story and days and all that stuff and i was like wow this this is what people need in all these other countries which are well ahead they've they've moved ahead but they disconnected from this basic connectivity with each other uh of compassion right so that that's the word i was looking at is that correct right agreed i think we're never too busy to lose that sense and that's what compels me like for instance when people say well you don't have any children i was like really you know, when I think about it, I have 10,000 students at the university, plus we're continuing to grow. I have 10 nieces and nephews, and then I have countless children. I couldn't believe how many happy Mother's Day I got from all over the world, because then it's not just about this idea of do I have children as an individual or a child even belongs to an individual. The child belongs to the village in real time. But that notion, that Western idea, the child's only yours. If it's a part of your nuclear family, no, that doesn't shut down. It's my responsibility wherever I am because of that contact i've been given and blessed with the opportunity to be able to meet this child i've been given a gift from god directly to me so i have a chance then to think about how do i help them reach their dreams their potential and that has nothing to do with whether or not i'm their birth mother it's about whether or not i have the responsibility and understanding of what precious of a gift that's in front of me anytime a child's in front of me and I, I, lo I love that, uh, uh, that that way of thinking, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the whole world, right? It's, it's there, it's, it's, it's how you see it. And, and, and I love the way you're using it because you're changing lives of, of, of the little ones and, and uh, it's the same as uh, looking after them as the same as a, their own mother would do uh, and you're doing it. So, you know, it's, it's the same. Yeah, that's how I'm seeing it as well. So <laughs> when... You, you've, you've now done, you know, is there, is there a certain routine that you follow or a, a ritual as some people like to call it? Is that something like that you follow, you know, your meditation that you do in the morning or something, yoga or something, I don't know, whatever that is. Is that something you do as well to keep you in the zone or continue the day? Uh, what, what, what ticks for you? I, I agree. I think you have to have some type of routine or, or system because otherwise that plague of busyness will catch you. And you're also can be ineffective. You can be busy and ineffective if you're not thinking about the intent and what you're seeking to accomplish. So, of course, for me, I mean, a prayer and meditation has to be a part of my daily life. When I'm missing it, I can tell the difference. I'm busy and hurry, just like everybody else, running around, ignoring people. Because I'll, I'll give you a quick story on how I, I knew the importance of being in the moment and not being so easily distracted. So, of course, I do a lot of work related to criminal justice. And I was in a prison. And had I not been, you know, I had an opportunity to pray and meditate before I went, 
I would have missed the whole experience. I would have been there, but I wouldn't have understood. It was almost like I had a lens to see, and this is really what sparked my work around our nonprofit and our outreach for, for youth. I mean, each one of the men, I'll never forget it. And it's been almost oh, a decade ago, at least, a little more. But each of them had a traumatic experience as a child. And I'll never forget that day I, because it was like, how did you have to wonder? You're like, how did somebody miss that? I mean, I'm not saying that I could change the course of their history, but if I could have been there or had some type of intervention in some type of way, what if it could, though? Because I think sometimes we get such a negative attitude, we don't see possibilities. But what if somebody said, hey, you're a treasure, you're loved, you're part of our community, and everybody was, uh, would say, you know, it has to be from their family. No, 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 we're part of human family. So what if it was a teacher? What if it was a bus driver? What if it was a religious leader? I don't know who it was, but I'll never forget that experience because it drew me in to think about these men, yes, there's some difficult circumstances that brought them he here. But if we're thinking about what also their experiences were, did we fail them too as a society though? Because as they were telling their stories, I was like, where were the adults? Who was supposed to protect you? How did this happen? It was just not a frame of reference for me. Because oftentimes I think people, you know, they get so worried. Yes, I grew up poor. Okay, I didn't have a lot of resources, but I didn't know that until college. You know, I thought it was just creative that my mother made all our clothes and made all our food. I was like, this lady is the most creative person I ever. I didn't know is that she just didn't have the money. <laughs> you know? I was like, wow, I really didn't realize how poor we were until I uh, submitted our, you know, the government has the FAFSA is what they call it the, for the federal aid for school. I was like, mama, you make less than two dollars an hour like what that's not even minimum wage like what in the world but she was self-employed and yeah she did take a lower salary so she could help stay at home to help us kids right and be with us when we got off the school bus i mean she made some intentional sacrifices please don't get me wrong but my mother i always knew that she was the protector of children whether it was us or anybody else's children that was important to her so i got that value from her and i just remember being in that prison in a maximum security prison and just thinking to myself, where were the protectors? Where were the adults? So when I think about who I am and why I do what I do and being mindful about what I'm doing, I put children first because I know the possibility of what we can create. And I know what we can do if we're the protectors, the guides, the encouragers. So for me, my health and wellness is fine. As soon as I get into a classroom, as soon as I start working with young people, as soon as I start teaching, that's why I built a career around teaching. A practice in law full-time would have been interesting, but there's something that happens when I'm in the classroom. There's just this, like this magic. So for me, being in the classroom creates that. And I would say my mindful practice is really literally, I know sometimes it seems cliche, but in those moments of being my brother and sister's keeper, looking for those moments to support, I'll stop my whole day. If I see something, you know, you're always gonna be busy. The, the issue will go to tomorrow. But if I see something where I can make an impact in real time, everything stop. My team will tell you, they're like, we're going to be late. No, 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 hold on. There's something in real time that we're being asked to do. And we'll get there when we're supposed to get there. It's not like I'm intentionally running late, but there's something that's calling us as a part of this network of Ubuntu, the shared humanity in real time. Let's, let's pursue it. So I built all my business interests, careers, everything I do. So when someone tells you there's no money in doing good, they're not being truthful and they're not looking at with from within because I built a publishing company about doing good. Yes. I understand publishing industry. Yes. You know, there's like 30 books that I've written. Yes. I understand the economics of it, but the whole purpose was on how to do good. 
I choose the books around social good and making an impact. So it's making a decision because oftentimes people say, well, you know, capitalism is so wrong and this issue is so wrong. Okay, we all can have our different opinions on that. But one thing that I can tell you for sure, even Adam Smith understood something, is that we had to create something called universal opulence. It didn't matter. I could have all the money in the world in my checking account. But if I didn't have a connection to humanity, and if I didn't have a connection to building stronger communities and families, how would I even have a basic necessity like safety? If one person, if I'm the only person here in Rondo, and I have $1 billion and nobody else has anything else, what do you think is going to happen? And so for me, we also have to get to the truth around basic economics. It's not just about, you know, market needs and demands and supply. All those things are important words. But even Adam Smith understood that there had to be a social good. So that's how I ended up becoming a social entrepreneur, building businesses that could have a social impact in real time. So when I write a book, I'm thinking about this, I write it, sell it, and then I can donate a book to a kid that couldn't afford it. As I remember that growing up, they used to have book fairs at schools, you know, and yeah, my mother had my envelope and I had my money. How many of my friends did not? And you just had to sit there and watch. When in fact, you know, over 60% of American homes, when people don't have the highest income bracket, there's not a book in their whole house. When we look at American children and literacy, literacy, one in four American children are not reading at grade level. Where I sit now in my community, only about 30% of the kids that look like me can read at grade level by fourth grade. If you're not reading at grade level by fourth grade, you're four times more likely to drop out of school. The Department of Justice said it. This is not Dr. Tyner speaking. If you drop out of school, you look at the fact based upon their research that the closest correlation or indicator of future incarceration is what? Illiteracy. They said that it's reading failure is deeply welded, meaning that great connection to future incarceration. 85% of the kids in the juvenile justice system cannot read. 68% of the adult population. Most of my clients learn how to read while in prison. So why am I bringing this all up? We can create possibilities. So through my social enterprise, through my bookstore and publishing company, instead of just saying, oh, it's a shame so-and-so can't read. Where are their parents? What happened with their school teacher? We go into schools. We go into community. We go out on the streets, and we do it in real time, teaching young people, helping to inspire them to read, helping to get books in their hands. And the best part is we're helping to create the books that look like them, that look like the beauty of America. You're more likely to see a book on the, with the cover with a black dog or a black bear than a black boy or a black girl. Let's change this up. And business interests can do that. Capitalism can do that. But we have to understand what we're doing and have a pathway to the future. And that's what I do as an entrepreneur. And I love that as equally as I love teaching because then I can change the economics and communities in real time. Wow, I love that, and thank you, thank you for sharing sharing this. So, what what are your current projects uh, that you, that you are doing, and 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 is there an opportunity for people to connect with you? Is that something you're um, doing that other people can connect with you around the glo globe? I would say. Yes, you always have an invitation. I mean, one of the things that we do, we do an annual trip. I know COVID slowed us down, but we do an annual trip to Ghana because that way I'm convinced that if we see the slave castles, if we see the experience, we can see humanity as worse, we'll have a responsibility on what we can create to bring humanity at its best. And it will be in our hearts, not just something we read about in a book, it'll come alive. So we do an annual trip to Ghana, and that's also an opportunity for me to bring business leaders and other people there to make the investment in our communities in real time. 
will need help, of course, with the, the uh, STEAM Academy. I said STEAM because we're also going to bring artists with us as well. Since I'm a literary artist, my community, my network, we're bringing you with me too. So we'll need more teachers to help support our program. We'll need support to build the building and infrastructure and everything. But also, I would say, as we continue to grow the bookstore and the publishing house, go visit our website. It's ppgjbooks.com. Support our books. I mean, when you buy a book, you're helping us to make sure a book gets in the hands of a child in real time. And I know this is hidden all over the world because I'm looking at all the people who joined us. And the reality of it is wherever you are, join me then. Being determined in our work together around literacy and raising awareness. This is just not an issue in America. This is an issue around the world. And if we can create opportunities, not only for young people to be able to read, but also to lead. So that inspiration along the journey. Maybe they read a book about Ellen Sirleaf Johnson and realize that they can dare to be head of state. You know, that's Madam President, first black female head of state in the world. Think about that. So when we take that type of inspiration, maybe it's Dr. Wangari Matai. We're concerned about environmental justice. She said, plant a tree. You haven't done nothing till you plant a tree. 51 million trees later, you know, there's some power in what our young people can do. So I'm saying this to be an invitation. Go out and volunteer in your local school. Go out and volunteer in your local youth group. Go out on your block and volunteer. Because if we inspire our young people, we're planting a seed in the future in real time, and we can have the greatest impact possible. So that's why I do. No matter where I'm at, there's no agenda. I can tell you that because my team gets frustrated. They're like, where's your I don't know. We're going to find some kids. <laughs> we're going to find a business to support. I mean, so in that way, I would say just dig deep. And I also would challenge that I know you have a, a community of business leaders, you know, uh, leading uh, folks who are thinking and coming up with ideas. Make your business make business sense for a social purpose. We all can do that. Whether it's related to creating more jobs, more opportunities, let's just make sure that the bottom line is not just dollars and cents. That's important. But I think it's also important to be impactful in real time. I love this. I love this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's, it's very inspirational. I'm definitely going to be checking out uh, the uh, your website. Is, is that also on your uh, Instagram bio or? Yes, yes, yes. So please, please join us. Everything we do is right there and let's stay connected and let's just replicate the work wherever we are. Definitely, definitely. Uh, it, it definitely was a very inspirational uh, conversation. Uh, is there something you would like to say to wrap this conversation up? I think what I'd like to say is just thank you. Thank you for everyone who's joined us. And more importantly, thank you for asking all the questions and delving deeper into my story and the inspiration for the journey. And I just hope for every one of us that we can discover the leader within. Because oftentimes we think the challenges of the world are too big. How do we even get started? But we all have an ability through a sense of agency, influence. Yours will look different from mine. And it might be like, it looks like, well, she has a greater platform. No, it's not that. I think everybody has their own platform. And one of my uh, mentors, she always says, just reach one. You know, just start off with that one person. Just please, if you're going to do anything to support my work, start off with that one young person and help inspire them on their journey. Wow. Thank you very much. I could have not even said that better. So that's that's amazing. That's that's great. Thank you very much. And anybody who was watching with us uh, throughout, I uh, saw quite a few people there uh, uh, live on IGTV. 
uh, and you've, if you've just joined as well, uh, I would recommend to rewind this episode that will be left behind uh, for people to watch. Uh, there's so many inspirational uh, nuggets to take away from it. Uh, and anybody who's watching, uh, what, listening to this on a, on a podcast, which will be posted on a bit later in the in the year, uh, please, uh, if you found it inspiring, you know, there was if there was a spark somewhere that whilst you were listening to this episode, now it's our duty to share this with somebody else. We shouldn't keep that spark within us because uh, we do not know who's woken up or going to bed thinking of a better day uh, tomorrow or today. So, and if you had that spark in you, it's our duty now to share that spark with somebody else. Share the episode with whoever uh, you can, uh, if 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 you you know if you feel inspired to do so, because you might create that spark for them, and that spark could be. A, a door, you know, that Dr. Atika was talking about being opened for that person, you know, could just give them the idea of what they're thinking of doing. So I would like to say thank you very much, everybody, for watching this Tuesday Talks. Uh, we'll be back again next Tuesday with another amazing person. Uh, Dr. Atika, thank you very much for your time and a wonderful story. Thank you very much. I'll look forward to seeing if I can join one of those Ghana trips, but it looks amazing. So I will definitely see, yeah, I'll watch out for that. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.